Hello, hello. Welcome one and welcome all to episode number 120 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. Thank you, as always, for joining me here on this beautiful Saturday, June the 11th. It is the start of Pride Weekend here in my beautiful home city of Boston, Massachusetts, and that means I need extra funds. So if you're listening to the show, please Venmo me at Alex Reamer is my Venmo name. That again is at Alex Reamer. I mean, seriously, I think I said this on the show last week. If you want to support gay people during Pride Month, give us all your money. It's really as simple as that, right? Come on. That's an easy thing to do. I feel like I'm just hemorrhaging cash over here. Happy Pride to me. Uh, But really, happy Pride Month, happy Pride Week for those of you in the Boston area like myself. Uh, I had a little monologue at the end of last week's show about what a special time of year this is for me, and it's a time of celebration, and it's also a time of reflection, and it's a time of year where I am especially thankful to be gay. Yay, as you should be as well. Uh, We have a really good show for you. This week, obviously, I think that's the case every week, but this week, uh, we have some delayed commentary on what happened with the Tampa Bay Rays last weekend, where at least six players, all of whom are pitchers, did not wear the special Rainbow Pride patches during the Rays Pride Night last Saturday, so have some thoughts on that, and also coming up, I have an interview with Michael Powell, who's a journalist For the New York Times, he wrote a really nuanced, in-depth feature on Leah Thomas uh, titled, What Leah Thomas Could Mean for Women's Sports. Uh, I think Michael did his best to speak to both sides of the issue, lots of sourcing, lots of reporting, uh, and it's a really interesting conversation, and uh, I've enjoyed Michael's work for a long time, so I've admired him from afar, so it was great to get him on the pod and talk about his reporting with the Leah Thomas story and where... Uh, That will go from here because with Leah saying she wants to compete in the 2024 Olympic trials, uh, this story is only going to get bigger, especially as our our presidential election approaches in a couple of years. Oh my goodness, you got to love our political cycle in this country, right? It never ends. Um, But let's start off with the Tampa Bay Rays, as I mentioned, then we'll get to the interview. Uh, At least six players, all of whom are pitchers, did not wear the Pride Rainbow patches during their Pride Night last weekend. Those pitchers are Jason Adams, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson, and Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson is actually one of the better uh, relievers in the game. He has a, an incredible, incredible right arm, but uh, he was on this list as well. And Jason Adams, I guess, was pointed as the spokesperson for this group, and I think gave one of the worst quotes uh, you could ever hear anybody give about this issue. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it or heard snippets of it by now, but just to provide the full context here, let me read it to you in full. This is what pitcher Jason Adams said about his decision and decision of some of his teammates to not wear the rainbow flag during Pride Night. Quote, a lot of it comes down to faith, a faith-based decision. So it's a hard decision because ultimately we all said what we want is them to know, I'm assuming them means us, LGBTQ people, that all are welcome and loved here. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of the guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on anybody or think differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, 
who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior, just like Jesus encourages me as a heterosexual male to abstain from sex outside the confines of marriage. It's no different. It's not judgmental. It's not looking down. It's just what we believe the lifestyle he's encouraged us to live for our good, not to withhold. But again, we love these men and women, we care about them, and we want them to feel safe and welcome here. Oh my goodness. Oh my. Where do we even want to start with that? I mean, so ignorant, and just as our Ken Schultz wrote in a great column this week, just really underpins the entire message and point of a Pride and Inclusion Night. Okay, got it. You're not looking down on us, but you don't want to encourage our lifestyle. Okay, got it. Now, by the way, being gay is not a lifestyle. I mean, it kind of is, but you get my point. It's not a choice that we make. It's not like, oh, I'm a big workout person, or I'm a foodie, I'm a wino. Yeah, no. (laughs) Being gay, being LGBTQ is not a lifestyle. It is the way that you are born. But I just... That is so condescending. I mean, honestly, I would almost prefer it if someone like Jason Adams came out and said, yep, you know, pull the old Tim Hardaway. I hate gay people. I think it's wrong, and that's why I didn't wear the patch. Instead, we get this just disingenuous, condescending, you know, soliloquy about how, you know, we love you. You know, we love you. We want all to feel accepted here, but just not, you know, but we're just not going to really show our support. You know, we love you. We want you to feel welcome, but we just can't encourage what you do. You know, that whole having sex with the with the with men thing. You know, we we just can't just can't get on board with that, but we do love you, you know, as Jesus would. I mean, really, it's it's hiding behind the veil of religion as, as an excuse for your bigotry and homophobia. I mean, you know, Jesus encourages me as a heterosexual male, Jason Adams says, to abstain from sex outside the confines of marriage. Uh, Here's the difference between that and being gay or LGBTQ. You choose whether or not to abstain from sex outside of marriage. As we just covered, you do not choose to be gay or LGBTQ. So that's the other major hole in this argument, because ultimately... What Jason Adams is saying and what these pitchers are saying, I'm assuming they're saying it because they signed off on the statement, is that they think being gay is a choice. And that's what it comes down to. They think it's sinful behavior and we are choosing to be sinful. And if that's the mindset they're coming from, they don't accept us. They don't love us, no matter what kind of platitudes they offer before saying we don't want to encourage that behavior. That's what it comes down to. And this was a colossal screw-up by Tampa Bay Rays management. I mean, first of all, and I think our Sid Ziegler wrote this uh, in our news story about it this week, you know, Pride Nights are great, and we love to see the symbolism and support for the community, but players don't have to wear Pride rainbows during Pride Night. You know, that's not an expectation. Some teams are starting to do it. The Giants and Dodgers, for example, wore special Pride Night caps during their game last weekend. So it's nice, but it's not a necessity. It's not something that every team must do. So why did the Rays do it if a portion of their players did not feel comfortable wearing that Pride patch? Why not scrap that and say, we're just going to do a Pride Night and 
ended on a note where everybody could feel accepted and we don't have this kind of controversy. And also, if you do want to make players wear a pride patch or a pride rainbow, make it mandatory. It's part of the uniform. I mean, this couldn't they see that this was just going to blow up in their faces? Either make it mandatory or don't do it at all. This was just a, an approach that was supposed to please everyone. And as the old saying goes, those who try to please everyone wind up pleasing no one. And this also takes away, this whole disaster, takes away from the fact that the vast majority of Rays players did wear the patches. They did. I mean, so far, we think there are six who didn't. That's 19 out of 25 who did. That's a pretty good percentage. And the Rays will also remember one of only three pro teams to sign an amicus brief in support of gay marriage in 2015. So the Rays have a history of supporting the LGBTQ community. The vast majority of players and coaches did wear the rainbow patch to show their outward support for the LGBTQ community. But this colossal mistake from management and this colossal ignorance from these pitchers has created this disaster. And it's a real shame. And it really overshadowed what should have been a special night for LGBTQ Tampa Rays fans. So we'll keep an eye on the story as the month progresses. Pride Night's will continue to pop up throughout the summer, and especially this month throughout Major League Baseball. My Red Sox have a Pride Night this upcoming Wednesday, June 15th. I will be in attendance for that, so we'll see. We'll see if there are any uh, Pride patches worn, not worn. But really, either make it mandatory or don't, because this middle ground creates this disaster that we've seen unfold. I do want to sneak in. A good story here before we get to my conversation with Michael Powell. Uh, The Carolina Panthers, bravo to them. We found out this week they hired the NFL's first out trans cheerleader, Justine Lindsay. So congratulations to the Panthers. They already have two other gay cheerleaders, Trey Booker and Chris Crawford, who were on the squad last year, and both of whom I had the pleasure of profiling for out sports. So how do you like that? Uh, But as I mentioned, the uh, main uh, focus today is my conversation with Michael Powell, journalist for the New York Times, who wrote the article, What Leah Thomas Could Mean for Women's Sports. Uh, As I said to Mike in our conversation, I'm always leery when two cis men, cis people, talk about trans issues. I understand that. I understand that, you know, not all viewpoints will be expressed. And, you know, I, I always try to make an effort on the show to give voice to those who traditionally have not had it. And that's why we've had Carly Webb on in the past, one of our great outsports contributors to talk about trans issues, Don Ennis, our former managing editor, we've had on the show as well, uh, talked a lot about this issue. So I really wanted to talk to Michael more about the journalistic side of things. You know, how do you go about approaching a volatile topic like this that, you know, anything you write about it is probably going to be the most scrutinized thing you ever published, or one of the most scrutinized things you ever published. We just have this powder keg of emotions surrounding these issues. So how do you as a journalist kind of tiptoe and manage your way around that? Not tiptoe, manage your way around that is really the better way to put it. So how do you manage that? Where does Michael see the story going forward? And what were some of his big takeaways after talking to folks on both sides of this issue? So that's coming up on the other side, my conversation with Michael Powell of the New York Times on the Sports Kiki. Thank you, as always, for listening. 
And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast. As I mentioned in the opening, very excited to have on uh, Michael Powell of the New York Times. He has a piece that's out, what Leah Thomas could mean for women's elite sports. And as I was also saying, I really think it's uh, one of the most balanced and nuanced pieces uh, I've read on this topic. Uh, Michael, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great, Alex, and uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's great to talk with you. As I was telling you off air, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. And I kind of want to start here from a journalistic perspective. You write about a lot of cultural, social issues. You called them like kind of third rail type topics. I'm curious, what sparked your interest in this specific Leah Thomas trans athletes debate? You know, I, that, that's a great question. And I, well, look, I mean, one is it's just, it's, it's so kind of, um, you know, dominated um, a lot of talk and that kind of yeah. sports and culture space. Obviously, it's occurring at a time when um, transgender Americans are, you know, uh, newly, um, what's what I'm looking for, you know, kind of assertive. And I mean that in the best sense of the word, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're, well, actually two things, right? Number one, there's sort of a push for recognition and for full rights at the same time, of course, from the right, there's a, uh, you know, there's a real push against transgender. Right. And, and uh, so it just seemed to me that like, this was a, um, that is the Leah Thomas and kind of transgender athlete debate was a window onto one part of that, not so much the, the right wing attack, but it was certainly a kind of a window on onto a kind of a cultural moment um, in America, much the way say, I don't know, gay marriage might have been 15 years ago, right? So, yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's absolutely right. But, you know, you mentioned those two forces happening simultaneously, right? So we're at a time with unprecedented, you know, public advocacy and activism for the rights of trans people, which is great and very important. And with that becomes a lot of supercharged opinions. And on the other side, of course, we have, you know, these attacks from right-wing legislatures all over the country attacking the rights of trans Americans. And it creates, you know, those two things going together creates a real powder keg where, you know, we notice it at Outsports, you know, anything you write about this issue is probably going to be one of the more scrutinized things that you put out there, right? (laughs) I'm curious how that factored into anything here and what the response has been. You know, look, it factors in because you're aware of it, right? But I mean, as with many other issues, um, you know, race, I mean, there's any number of issues you kind of, it it does strike me that at some point you've got to say, okay, you know, I recognize that's the context in which I'm writing. But if I get too wrapped up into that, you get in your own way, right? You got, you, you want to try to like acknowledge that. Now I will say, you know, it's, it's, it's particularly different. It's particularly a challenge with an issue like this because, you know, largely I'm, my article is, is in the space that's not part of the right-wing attacks, right? I mean, I didn't go out right. and, and frankly, and search out, you know, evangelicals to hold forth on, you know, what they thought of, um, you know, transgender athletes, but unavoidably, unavoidably, that is the context. So, uh, you know, to my view, you just kind of have to like, I mean, from a writer's point of view, you have to bow towards that. I understand that's the context, but there is, there is this, you know, I think interesting 
legitimate on both sides debate being had around athletics and women's sports. And that's what I was going to try to concentrate on. Yeah, and something I'm always cognizant of whenever I write about trans issues, and even during this conversation with you, I'm cognizant of it. You know, we are two cis men talking about trans issues. As a cis man and, you know, cis writer, how how did you approach that going into this story? Or, uh, yeah, and how did you kind of want to get that perspective in there? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, I reached out to a number of, you know, transgender, you know, men and women, and, you know, had those conversations. I didn't uh, any more than I did on, you know, anyway, it's the nature of journalism. You're not going to quote everyone you talk to. Um, But, you know, so what I tried to do was engage with that, you know, with, um, with, with the full, you know, kind of panoply of, of people that are involved in this. And, And some of my discussions with, I mean, it isn't certainly the first time I've talked to transgender um, men and women, but, you know, part of that was to kind of have that broader discussion. For instance, I talked to somebody in Philadelphia, um, a trans activist who, you know, we really just kind of, I mean, we actually had a very long and interesting conversation, and I didn't quote um, her because, you know, it's just it was more by way of background than it was yeah. on the issue at hand. So, yeah. Uh, but look, I mean, you go in. I mean, anytime it, it does strike me as a reporter. I mean, one of the things one of the things that makes reporting so much fun, frankly, is the chance to enter to enter and try to understand other worlds. I say that with humility. Right. Obviously, you're going to get things. You know, you're you're. It's not the same, right? My my lived experience is not that of a, you know, transgender male or female, right? I mean, but neither is it the experience of my experience that of a Latino male or this. I mean, so that you know, you you what you try to do is not let that become disabling, right? That you know, you you make an honest effort, and then you know, you hope you hope that. You hope that, you know, your your instincts are good enough that it's true to at least some substantial portion of those who read the article. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, there's obviously so much dialogue about this issue. And you quote, you know, two of the, the two, you know, substantial sides in your piece. But I'm asking you, did you do you think there is useful dialogue happening between both both of these sides? Like, we know that they're both talking and they talk to the media, but do you think there's any <laughs> useful dialogue happening between them? And if so, what is it? Because it is hard to see that. Yes, it is hard to see that. And I'm, uh, you know, I think it's pretty polarized right now. In and of itself, not terribly surprising. We live in enormously polarized yeah. times. It's sort of, it's it's particularly too bad because, you know, on, these are not, I mean, to use one, this is not a, you know, on the one hand, a Southern Baptist evangelical conservative and a trans, on the other side, transgender. Right. These are people very often who, you know, if you were to, 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 you know, look at their stands on issues across a wide, you know, spectrum, you'd find a very, you know, you'd find a lot of agreement. Like but, Martina. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, Martina is a very good example. Um, you know, I mean, right. I mean, it's been an outspoken activist for women, for lesbians, like, you know, on, she's a, 
you know, clearly a left liberal in her politics. Um, you know, so I think, but right now, no. I, I mean, my sense is that there's not much dialogue. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, there just isn't. It's a very charged moment in that space. Yeah. And looking in, you know, I've been without sports now for over two years. So it's really when I've kind of dove in headfirst into this debate. And the more I, you know, report on it and think about it and talk to people, I really do think that there are two debates going on here in terms of trans inclusion in sports. I separate the high school discussion and high level sports. You know, I think when you talk about high school, we're really talking about kid participation and, yeah. you know, what you can gain right. socially from that. You know, I think Joanna Harper who we know had a really good quote in your piece. She said, you know, is it so horrible if a handful of us are more successful than they were in men's sports? For high school sports, I totally agree with that. I think once you get, though, to high-level college sports, Olympics, it's different, and that's just such a small number of people, though. So I'm curious if you think that there are two debates here as well. Oh, absolutely. And actually, if I, you know, (laughs) were I to wave a, 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 a wand and give myself another thousand words, I would have developed that thought more because I do think at the you know junior high school and high school level um, very often it's a very you know there's a very different discussion to be had uh, and and that's about you know getting kids active in sports making kids co- kids comfortable in their bodies and in their psyches um, though even there you know and it, it you know I've I mean, that had been my take and still is largely. Then somebody I was talking to, I can't remember offhand who, was pointing out that, like, when you get to, let's say you get to the national track finals of high school, right? Um, By that point, kids are running for, well, for two things, right? I mean, number one, kids, I mean, I don't know, you know, older kids, young adults are running for two things. I mean, they're running for scholarships, right? So, you know, where you finish in the 440, where you finish, you know, as a pole vaulter could be the difference between getting a scholarship to the, you know, college of your choice and not. Um, and then secondly, very often that's sort of the the entryway to the Olympics, right? Because, I mean, you have many, many track and field, I'm, I don't know, or swimming. I mean, actually, right. many athletes, period, for whom that's sort of, at, again, at the elite level in high school, for whom that's the entry point. So maybe, you know, so it's an interesting, I, I guess I guess what all I would draw from that is that, again, at the very elite peak of high school athletics, you know, I think there's, there's a debate that has many echoes of the debate you're going to hear for college and pro athletes. But I completely agree with you. I think for the, you know, the big majority of kids just who just want to play whatever, you know, on their high school team. And, you know, maybe they'll start, maybe they won't. I mean, you know, I was there as an athlete. My kids were there as athletes, you know, I mean, no, no stars, no, nothing. It seems to me like the best, you know, the highest virtue is participation. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I think that the biggest shame or one of the bigger shames, I'll, I'll call it the biggest shame. I'll go on, I'll go on and say that about this, uh, debate specifically with Leah Thomas. And, you know, you, you ended your piece with a father, uh, one of her swim meets who said that, you know, she's just a 22 year old kid. And this is such a large and complex issue. And yet, like, all of this is being put on her shoulders. And that, I think, is another 
nuance to this story as well, even as we go forward towards her possibly, you know, going for the Olympic trials. I mean, she, right. I mean, that to me is the other thing yes. too. Like, oh, no. No one's, like it's like, it's all about the institutions we're talking about, you know, not her, but obviously a lot of disingenuous tax on the right go that way, which even clouds this debate further. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, whatever one makes of whether, you know, Leah should or shouldn't compete as, you know, a woman in the chair. I mean, there, it's not, these are not, this is not a Manchian black and white, you know, evil and good. I mean, you know, these are very, very complicated, you know, questions. And you've got, you know, at the center, a lot of really good athletes. I mean, Leah, you know, when competing as a male was also a very good swimmer. I mean, it's not, she's a better swimmer, you know, as a, as a woman, um, but it's hardly like, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't me. She wasn't slashing around, you know, doing, doing 20 laps and calling it a day as a, as a, you know, as a male, she was a very good, she was, you know, a high level, you know, D one swimmer. Yeah, most definitely. I, I like that. I'm, I'm with you too, kind of splashing around, feeling for myself <laughs> helpless. Um, right, I, I, swim a, I swim a nice mile, but that's, that's all right. basically it. You You're know. ahead of me. You're ahead of me. I can stand <laughs> in the shallow end with a drink in my hand. That's what I do. There we go. There um, we go. My last question for you, you mentioned that you covered politics for a long time as well, both city politics and national politics. So let me ask you, I mentioned that Leah Thomas want as said uh, last week that she wants to swim at the Olympic trials. So I don't know. I, this is kind of dystopian. I don't really like it, but I look ahead to the 2024 election and I'm like, is Leah Thomas really going to become one of the biggest issues, at least on one side heading into this? Where do you see this debate going over the next couple years? God, you know, <laughs> right? I, know. I don't think she'll be the biggest issue, but man, it's hard to see. It's hard to see that not. I mean, look, look what's going on already. Put Leah to the side, right? With with um, you know transgender, you know kids, the families of transgender kids. I mean, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've got to think that. Um, yeah, I, I have. I, yes, I would think that it's going to be. It's certainly going to be an issue, much as like if I were to cast back. So, I recall it was two thousand and. I think gay marriage, yes. you know, yes. became an issue. Um, you know, I mean, we, it is, it's interesting. I was thinking about that, actually. It's instructive how quickly the culture changes, right? I mean, in 2004, you could still, you know, Republicans were still running based on gay marriage, and most Democrats are running away from it, right, right? Obama at all. And, you know, now, um, hmm. you know, it's just, anyway, it's just interesting how quickly the, you know, relatively quickly, the culture changes. That's not much comfort if you happen to be, you know, gay, you know, a gay couple in 2004 looking to get married or a transgender, you know, teenager today. Um, but yes, I've got to think I'm, I'm, I'm winding away. But I mean, I, I, yes, I have to think that Leah could easily be an issue uh, in two, 2024. Yeah, that is amazing, the culture, really. I and mean, that's true in 04. I mean, uh, I was even reading a long profile about Dianne Feinstein uh, the other day and how you know, mm -hmm. she, of course, was one of the most pro-gay you know, politicians in the 70s and 80s. But then 04, gay marriage debate, even someone like her was kind of running away yep. from it. So 
Very interesting. Uh, Michael Powell, great discussion. What Leah Thomas could mean for women's elite sports. It's his latest on the New York Times. Thanks for coming on. This was great. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Really enjoyed it. All right, so a big thanks to Michael Powell of the New York Times for taking a few minutes and coming on the show this week to talk about his story on Leah Thomas. As always, questions, comments, concerns, topic ideas, guest ideas. I'm open. I want to hear from you all. Send me an email. Uh, Send me a Twitter message, a a DM. There you go. 29 going on 79 sometimes, right? No. Send me a DM on Twitter. At AlexStreamer1 is my username. That, again, is at AlexStreamer1. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next on the show next Saturday.